Today's episode is very proudly brought to you by InReachCo, Australia's first exclusively regional, rural and remote allied health job platform. InReachCo was created by allied health professionals for allied health professionals and is committed to connecting Australian communities with the allied healthcare workers they need. For a simple and interactive way to explore current regional and remote positions or for businesses wanting to explore job advertisement opportunities, head to www.inreachco.com.au. The links will also be in the show notes. G'day guys and welcome to Holly the OT podcast. My name is Holly and I'm an occupational therapist looking to create a judgment-free zone for all OT students, new grads and early year therapists. Join me as I give my honest opinions on the highs and the lows and the ins and the outs of being an OT. Before I start today's episode, I'd like to acknowledge the Wujak Noongar people who are the traditional custodians of the land this episode was recorded. G'day guys and welcome back to another episode of Holly the OT Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to all my regular listeners, any new listeners. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy the pod and enjoy today's episode. Feel free to check out some of the other apps uh, if there's anything that tickles your fancy. But today we've got an absolute cracker with the wonderful Sela from Neuroaffirm over on TikTok. If you're on TikTok and there's any sort of remnants of OT on your For You page, I guarantee you will know who Sela is. She's a legend. She's so insightful. And we just had a really great chat. Sela's got a very infectious personality and we laughed nonstop throughout this episode. So I hope you enjoy that. Before we do that though, let's quickly pump through my highs and lows as we like to do to start all our episodes. My high for the week is I've just gotten back from, it was like 10 days home with my family in New South Wales. We met new babies, we hung out with the old babies, we saw our friends and it was just absolutely beautiful. And yeah, I just love going home and then I love coming back to Perth too. It's, you know, it's nice. We, we're living a fun life at the moment. So that was very, very wonderful. My low for the week is the day before we left for Perth, I left all my plants out on the table to water them and quickly ducked off to the shops. But we're also in the middle of a heat wave here in Perth and it was nine o'clock in the morning. And I kid you not, all of the leaves of my plants got sunburned and they still haven't recovered. We left them soaking while we went away. And yeah, it's just very sad. My fiddle leaf fig is down to four leaves and it was thriving two weeks ago. So that is sad. If you're a plant parent, you know that's sad. If you have tried to be a plant parent, I hope you will also appreciate why that is sad. But I will probably just go and buy some more to make myself feel better. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's okay. That's fine. I'll, I'll I'll push past it. But let's get into the chat with Sila. Sila and I talk all things neuroaffirming practice, accommodations that can be made to support you while at uni, while transitioning into the new grad workforce. We talk research, research, research. We talk research, and we talk a lot of TikTok too, which is my type of interview. Sila's a legend, like I said, and you guys are going to love it. Let's get into it. Today's podcast guest is the wonderful Sila. Sila is an occupational therapist who's passionate about supporting neurodivergent adults and adolescents through very evidence-based neuroaffirming practices. Sila's leading the way. She's been the lead researcher for an article published in the International Journal of Disability Development and Education, as well as presenting at the National OT Exchange in 2022. 
Sila is building a really supportive TikTok community aimed at expanding the awareness of neuroaffirming OT. And I am just so excited to have this chat and talk all things OT. Welcome to the Holly OT pod, Sila. Oh, wow. Quite the introduction there, Holly. Oh, my goodness. I don't, I hopefully I live up to all of that. But um, sure <laughs> it's such, it such an honor to be on this podcast, Holly. You've certainly caught my eye with what you're doing, and it's definitely been super inspiring to see. And I think there's so much space. Um, for like thinking outside the box in the OT space and that's something you're doing and it's just yeah so so inspiring oh that's so kind (laughs) thank you so much that's so lovely (laughs) now before we get into the podcast um I just want to acknowledge our unique situation that we have here it's very funny (laughs) we've got a phone going on FaceTime we've got the screen going with the recording I've got my iPad off to the side we've we're just adapting today we're being very OT and we had a a bit of a time zone mishap which was purely purely my fault with the time zones you guys know I'm not good with the time zones yet but we've we've gone on the fly and we're here and I'm just yeah we're doing well <laughs> we yes, we we definitely are and it's all things that I've certainly done before to my own clients I'm like oh yes yeah okay and now a difference right uh, you know what I'm not looking forward to Holly it's when the um the time changes like the time differences in like uh Melvin and Sydney and I'm just gonna be like okay where's my where's my clients why aren't they showing up yep. and, yep. you know I'm not looking forward to it but it's fine and I think I living in New South Wales I think I very much had like a New South Wales privilege not even thinking that other states in the country have different time zones and now I'm over in WA and it's just every time zone is different and everyone I got a message the other day sorry this is a tangent I got a message yeah. the other day at 2 a.m in the morning one of my friends had woken up to go to the gym at five in Sydney she sent me a message at 2 a.m and I was like nah not on <laughs> crazy that is wild isn't it yeah it's like who are you but also Eric it's, <laughs> it's fine you're okay <laughs> exactly anyway before we go on too many tangents because we're going to chat about a lot of great things today I start all my podcast interviews the exact same way, and that is with a very fun game of two truths and a lie. I am going to see if I can guess your lie. This is my first one in about four months. No, three months. So I'm, I'm a bit out of practice. So I think I think you might pick me today, but I'm excited to see what you've got. Two truths and a lie. What have you got? I, I'm also being mean to you because I'm trying to get you on a technicality, yes. which I know you've like seen before. So we'll see how you go. <laughs> okay. Um, number one, I grew up in France. Two is I love to paint. And number three is I used to play in a band. Okay. I'm going with the gut feeling that there's a technicality here. And I'm thinking <laughs> you didn't grow up in France, but you might have grown up in another country. So I'm <laughs> going to say that growing up in France is your life. About. <laughs> oh, no. You grew up in France? I should clarify. I was born here. So maybe I, this is a, a lie in itself, but I was born in Australia. But I was in France from age three to 10. Um, so I feel like, you know, I feel like I can get away from saying that, right? <laughs> absolutely. You you spent more time in France than I have. So you can absolutely say that. <laughs> and so what was your lie? Uh, my lie is that I love to paint. It's not that I love to paint. It's just that I'm like an artsy person. Um, but painting for me is like really, really tricky because as an OT, of course, I've hyper analyzed my skills and um, fine motor skills is not one of them. <laughs> So really being creative for me is trying to think creatively of how I can make something look good without needing like super fine writer skills. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. And you used to be in a band. Yeah. So um, music has been a huge part of my life and yeah, I used to teach piano and we'll probably go into that a little bit later, but 
um, one of the things that I did to, I guess, develop community here in Brisbane when I moved here is um, I looked out for a band to join um, and I did. And it was like such an incredible experience. And I think it it also... Uh, I think it makes sense now looking at my social media. Once again, jumping ahead. Sorry, Holly. <laughs> no, um, but <laughs> it's, it got me outside of that comfort zone and being able to perform and all those sorts of things. And yeah, I, I got a lot of pro- from that experience. Really much enjoyed it. Um, but no, no longer too much brand drama as there always is when it comes to musos. Um, but yeah, I still like doing that on the side for myself now. And I'm sure lots of those things that you sort of learn and and challenge yourself with have transpired into what you're doing today. So I'm sure plenty of transferable yeah. skills from that. Exactly. Speaking of being in a band and, and being artsy and crafty, I want to know what else life outside of OT looks like for you. Obviously, us as OTs, we're very multifaceted and there's usually so much to us. So what, is, what does life outside of OT look like for you at the moment? Yeah, so um, it's been quite the journey, I would say, um, coming out from like uni, Sila to full-time work Sila which I'm sure we can sort of all relate to in some aspect but um I think uh during uni I used to be like probably more artsy than I than I have had the time for these days um in that I always had some type of project going on um you know like sewing or embroidery um like all sorts of things I had a goal back in the day that I wanted to try every type of like art modality um in my life so you know maybe I'll still get back to that I don't know plenty of time Um, (laughs) yes there's still time um but I think having the time for that and like mental energy and physical energy has been challenging outside of work plus I've had yeah other priorities um and and trying to look for that creativity in different ways so it's still a goal to try and get back to that but maybe not you know, right, right at this point in time. But um, the priority for me at the moment has been um, that, like friendships. That's that's the huge um, thing that I very much value for myself. And my partner and I really love to like host our friends and um, like cook. We both love cooking. So it's something we do a lot of. And I think my friends would describe me as enjoying the finer things in life. And I, I would semi agree, but it also depends on my budget at the time. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you you gotta go with what you have um and and then other than that I'd say the last two years has been very focused on like learning and growing and I think coming from uni and being bombarded with that to then sort of not having anything and yeah I've really enjoyed learning about different topics that I find really uh, valuable to myself so like finances and business and all that sort of stuff and social media and things like that so um that's that takes up a lot of my time to be honest yeah um, you sound very busy you sound like there's lots <laughs> going on it's wonderful <laughs> chaotic life uh, but also um that's that's how I love to live my life so that's fine I'm the same. If there's not a lot going on, I am bored and I need yeah. more. So there's always something happening. Is It's a great way to be for some. Yeah. Other people, not so much. But yeah. Now, run me through your journey to becoming an OT. At what point did you decide, yep, I'm going to OT. I'm going to OT. I'm going to uni <laughs> to study OT. How, how did you get to that decision? Okay, this is a little bit of a story, so um, apologies. <laughs> no apologies, me. <laughs> um, but I also love hearing people's OT stories because it's always different. Hey, like yep. it's never 
straightforward, I don't think. So, and mine certainly wasn't. So, and this might uh, involve a little oversharing, but that's okay. That's on brand for me. So all good. Um, <laughs> so firstly, I would say I'd have a very varied education background. So obviously like growing up in France and going to school there, um, going to school here in Australia, but then also um, I was homeschooled for a few years and, and then I didn't do grade 11 and 12. So um, that's a little fun fact. And I think coming out from that, I was not in the mindset to pursue higher education. I just like did not know what I wanted to do with my life. So I, I actually studied graphic design and TAFE just as like the first fun thing to be like, yeah, that seems interesting. That's cool. And then quickly realized that I didn't quite have the skills that I wanted, you know, that I sort of needed to be to be successful in that area. So um, I then studied a whole bunch of other things and I'm someone who like you very much learn through doing, which is expensive, uh, but <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> we do what we have to do. Um, so I did, I started education and then I was studying music, um, and didn't finish either of those of course but anyway and then at the time I was teaching piano and that was my job for like the longest time and absolutely loved it adored it and I was starting to think about like oh my gosh I wish I could recreate this experience for me but with like a career type job rather than teaching piano it's hard to make that into a career um and something I realized from my education degree was that I couldn't tolerate being in a whole classroom full of very noisy children. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was just way too overwhelming for me. So I was like, why am I doing music? Because that's just going to lead me to that same path. Um, so, yeah. And then so anyway, so I was teaching piano. Um, some of my students had, you know, some disabilities. So I had someone who, well, it was called Esper just back in the day um, and someone else with bipolar. And I know you can't really, well, shouldn't pick favourites with students or clients, but he was my favourite student for sure. Oh, we all do it. And anyone who says they don't have favourites is lying to themselves. I know. I completely agree. And I could just I could just see how like impactful the the lessons were. Like he'd he'd come in and be like, "Oh, Sila, you're a very scary person," and I'm like, "I don't think so, but um, okay." And then, but um, and then he'd be like, "Oh, you know, I was talking to my psychologist about you know piano lessons and how I'm like really trying." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, like this is huge for you, you know." Um, and uh, but at the same time, like you know, he really he really tried and he was doing so well. So I was like, okay, cool. This is really cool that I can help someone do something and, um, and you know, be that environment to foster that growth for them, even though it's like just music. Um, and so that sort of got me thinking about that space of like helping people, I think. And then another piano student, um, she was in grade 12 at the time and I asked her what she was going to do the following year and she said she wanted to get into speech pathology. So I was like, oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> and I like Googled it. Um, I think I had the UQ website up and I read about speech pathology and funnily enough, I 
had speech pathology myself when I was younger and I couldn't tell you why I'm and I don't understand what the outcomes were I don't actually understand at all but anyway that's just a a side fun thing um but I was like no I don't think speech pathology is right for me because I sometimes have my own communication challenges just depending on how I'm going at the time so that may not be the best journey but then um there was a link there for OT and I of course had never heard of it before so I I clicked on it, I read about it, and like something instantly clicked, even though I had no idea what it was still. But (laughs) I was like, this sounds amazing. (laughs) I love how most people's OT careers starts with some form of Google search. There's some form of, what can the internet tell me about this magical word that I've heard? I think most stories have have some element of that in it. It's it's very fascinating, isn't it? It is. It is for sure. Yeah. So fast forward, you you landed on OT. There was something about it that you enjoyed. You obviously ended up at uni. What was uni like for you? What sort of a student were you? I will start by saying that um, my performance, if you will, and I don't like the, word, the term performance, but anyway, it fluctuated a lot. Yeah. Um, but I would say that university in general for me was really my time to like find myself and probably like reinvent myself um I went from you know shy homeschool kids socially awkward that sort of thing to like who I am today definitely still socially awkward but I think I wear it a little better than I used to (laughs) um and I yeah really I think I, I really put myself into a lot of different situations to help me I guess discover what I what I was good at what I wasn't super great at um and yeah it was a fantastic I think just learning experience and and growth experience but I think it's where I sort of realized that I definitely had some challenges and I you know I I think sometimes I can pinpoint that back to specific things like some of it was maybe homeschool wasn't used to you know time pressures of exams and that sort of thing um but I also have a really poor memory so studying for exams for me has like never been an okay (laughs) thing um so yeah just a lot of fluctuations not great at exams great at assignments great at writing anywhere where I can sort of like have a think about you know what what it is I want to do and there's a process to it and and then I can create something from that I think that's where I sort of thrived with the writing side of things and but then I was also a little bit of an overachiever or at least I tried to be <laughs> um <laughs> so I was student representative for the first and second year of uni amazing which was like a cool I guess leadership type experience um did I do a great job of it? I don't know, maybe not. But also like I do think I learned a few things through that experience as well. And then I applied for some research scholarships. I was there too and I got I got two of them, so one over winter and one over summer. And um yeah, that was my first take on on research and I I, I did it because I wanted to see what it was like because once again, went through doing. And I equally like found it challenging but also really 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 cool and I think I realized how much I love to like deep dive on topics and how more confident I feel once I do that if that makes sense um yeah absolutely so that was that was fantastic experience um but I also you know I was working three jobs I 
chaotic life, Holly, obviously. Um, but yeah, learned a lot and, um, and, and did a lot and yeah, great experience. Amazing. I'm glad you had an overall positive experience and we might talk a little bit about the research side of things a little later. Cause I'm actually curious to know that side of sort of what you've done. And obviously you've had an article published, which is really epic, Mm -hmm. but you mentioned that you were quite shy. Obviously you had been homeschooled and that sort of transpired into that sort of adolescent young adult. How did that go once you got out onto placements and you obviously had this great clinical knowledge and you were doing incredible research and incredibly incredible stuff academically how how did you go placement wise yeah I really struggled with my placements and I think I I think it took me by surprise but also if I had of looked back I probably sort of like could have seen it coming I'd say um I think uh, placements for me were a huge learning experience and of course that's the same for anyone right but it wasn't so much the learning of OT, which, you know, did a lot of for sure, <laughs> but it's actually a lot of learning about myself and what my own needs were. Um, so I, I can give you some specific examples. Uh, my first placement was at a hospital and I, for the life of me, could not concentrate to write my notes in the busy wards. And I just, yeah. I was killing myself over it. I was like, you know, my, my fellow like OT can do it. Everyone else can do, do it. Like what's, what's wrong with me. Um, and that's when I clued onto the fact that I certainly have some like auditory sensitivities and visual mm. sensitivities. Um, and it wasn't until maybe week eight that we were like, Oh, okay. How about we write them somewhere else? You know? <laughs> and then it got a little bit easier but also only two weeks left so you know it could have helped a little bit earlier but that's fine um just in terms of my learning style as well I really struggle I think to um be thrown into situations like I'm very much a I need the the whole process like I need to you know observe first and then I need to try and then I need to fail a bit and, and then I learn eventually I'm very reflective thinker um and I think that a lot of the time in the OT space, um, apologies for casting shade to OTs, but, and I'm sure this isn't for everyone, but I find that we, we're a little bit of a hypocritical profession sometimes to our own. Like we know how to teach and we know to be strength space, but do we do that to our students? It's questionable. <laughs> That's actually a very great point. I've often thought that even just with my own uni experience, not to make this about me, but like I I definitely had times, you know, I had conversations with my parents about, you know, they're teaching us how to be occupation-based and they're teaching us how to make accommodations, but no one's making accommodations for us. There is a standard way that we complete at uni and if you aren't completing it that way, tough biggies. And I'd like to hope that that has started to change and I think it definitely has from when we were probably going through uni, not that it was that long ago, but... (laughs) But like, it's, it's very true. Like just from a, from a student uni perspective that the accommodations we are teaching our OTs to make are not being made for our students. So it's an interesting topic and it is an interesting area that I'm sure, you know, with all this movement that is happening in the neuroaffirming space, I'm sure that will begin to trickle through to the university systems. But as we know, curriculums don't change quickly and and systematic things like that will take some time, but fingers crossed there is a little bit more adaptability and flexibility because yeah, it is an interesting topic. You're, You're very right. Absolutely. And I think it will start from from these things, like a bit more of a, a top-down approach, I suppose, where um, the more information we share, like through your podcast, Holly, um, the more people will understand. And I think as well, like, you know, I know you're providing supervision as well. And I think that's absolutely 
so fantastic to be bringing in those approaches for for new grads and things like that too because um you know that's that's their you know if especially if they've had poor experiences at uni um it's quite daunting going into the workforce and um to have that approach as a new grad is yeah would just be so empowering I think yeah what was your experience like as a new grad let's go there shall we (laughs) great segue how did you go like student obviously you you didn't have great experiences as as a student they weren't bad necessarily but there was obviously some learnings in there how did you then make that leap from from student to new grad yeah so I think because I realized so much about my own needs um whilst at uni um and I realized what type of accommodations I really needed for myself and and I think when we're thinking about accommodations as well and once again we can go through this later um too but we we need to have like the right environment to then set ourselves up for you know like minor changes if that makes sense so I quickly realized that I needed a supportive environment in order to thrive and um one that was that allowed uh, like autonomy uh because I've always thrived when I've been able to be like have autonomy and um I (laughs) I did apply for a hospital job uh and (laughs) like you mean? I, re- I remember <laughs> I know I know I remember calling my friend and absolutely freaking out to her because I did have the interview and I was like I don't think I want this like this is so against what I'm trying to get like why am I wanting this you know and I think there's this whole I think idea and, and you know you're sort of in a bit of a bubble when you're at uni too of like oh hospital job is like elite or something and yeah. sure you do have to be elite to be in a hospital job I, I put my hat off to them but um <laughs> I also think like you know it's okay to think about what your own needs are and if that's different to that environment then that's okay so anyway I did the interview thankfully I didn't get it um and <laughs> and I was like okay no I definitely need something supportive and that's what I looked out for and and I got a job in more of a community context um which I was super nervous about because my second placement was actually community context and I really struggled with that but it was mostly pediatric based um rural which I'm sorry I don't mean to like talk poorly about rural experiences it's but okay. <laughs> I just need someone like I need my people and I didn't have my people and yeah I really struggled for sure. with that yeah for sure I won't take offense <laughs> I'm sure it's a fantastic experience for many other people. But yeah, so anyway, that's what I was looking for for my first um, first job. Managed to find it. The support, oh my gosh, amazing. Great supervision, great like, great people, very like, very lovely and non-judgmental and okay with the difference. And and I think, you know, community in general can can be really good at that and I definitely found a good workplace for that so I think at the start everything sort of clicked and I was like yeah cool I made I made the right decisions for sure amazing and I I want to jump back a little bit to you you mentioning that you were looking for a workplace obviously that allowed for accommodations and I think it's it's such a great place that you were in to be able to know what your accommodations were and what you needed but I think it's also important to to pay homage that that you if you weren't in those uncomfortable situations as a student you wouldn't know 
what those accommodations were that you needed. You wouldn't know what your working preference was. And I just think, you know, if there's any students who are listening and you might be in a tricky placement situation, you might already be in a tricky workplace and you're noticing that it's not suitable for you, that as as hard as those moments are, that's where we learn and that's how we learn about ourselves and learn sort of what position we're going to thrive in. So it's a bit of one of those catch-22, like obviously we don't like the toxic positivity and trying to put a positive spin on things, but I, I it sounds like it's worked really positive for you and given you that really strong sense of, of self and strong sense of what you need to to be able to thrive and it sounds like you are thriving yeah I, I 100% agree with that and certainly when I work with my own clients I that's where we start it's like okay what hasn't worked in the past and I think ever and, and and having that starting place can then help us clue us in on on other things that maybe we haven't experienced yet but um but certainly we could see it coming like if we really had to think about it so um I think you're completely right and I am I think I think if you had if you asked me if I would change anything about my past given how chaotic it was I actually don't think I, I would just because I like you said have grown and learned so much about myself because of it so yeah you're you're completely right mm. what does work look like for you now I think you're doing some pretty cool things we're going to talk a little bit more about your TikTok after but that's how um we I sort of first saw what you were doing and and you shared with me your TikTok page and I went through admittedly a very deep dive into all of your videos and you're so wonderful and you answer such a diverse range of questions but how does that transport uh, transpire into your clinical work at the moment? What does clinical life look like for you? Yeah, so I have made the um, the very scary leap into being a, a sole trader. Um, like you, which is very exciting, but very nerve-wracking at the same time. Um, but yeah, certainly for me, okay, so in my previous role, it was generalist OT, mostly adults caseload, um, which of course generalist means, you know, a bit of therapy, a bit of hormones, assistive tech like just the whole shebang really um and I very quickly realized okay cool I definitely way prefer therapies uh with adults not not kids sorry Holly um (laughs) (laughs) please it's okay (laughs) um and um yeah I definitely developed that that passion area for it and I I was at that point in my career where um to progress in that workplace um I was looking at doing more AT and home ones and I was like oh like do I really want that for myself no so um yeah so that's why well one of the reasons there's many reasons but one of the reasons why I've decided to go solo um so now I've just yeah purely just got neurodivergent adult clients absolutely loving it so far very early days but um it's just yeah it's just my favorite type of client all of the time so I swear I actually don't have any favorite clients right now because they're all my favorite clients I love that. And I think that just is the beauty of OT. And when we find what we love and when we do that all the time, like it doesn't feel, it doesn't drain our energy as much as, you know, doing things that don't light our fire. Like it's it's just so evident that you're passionate about what you're doing and how cool that you can, you know, curate a full caseload just of what you want to do. Like that is the beauty of our jobs. It's the beauty of private practice and then and, ugh, and the NTIS. And I just think, yeah, it's so wonderful seeing you able to sort of niche down and provide that 
that really uh, specific therapy that you are providing. Run me through a little bit about the sort of therapy that you do. You're very, very uh, proud and very, very open with being very neuroaffirming. I think it's a really uh, not interesting space at the moment, but I think in a world where it is the right thing at the moment to be neuroaffirming and it's sort of the buzzword and, you know, it gets thrown around and every second person is saying they're neuroaffirming, but I think it's really evident in the videos you put out that you are neuroaffirming, you are leading the way, you are sort of sparking those conversations with what you're doing. What does that mean to you to be neuroaffirming? Yeah, that's that's a huge, um, it's a huge question, and I think it's something that, like, depending on the day, I'm going to give a different answer. To be honest, Holly, because yeah. it's yeah. just it is so broad and encompassing. I think where do I start with this? I think I would say um, first of all that I being neuroaffirming for me has become has come very naturally and I, I think there's been clues for that over the years in that um, once again I absolutely love my neurodivergent adult clients and um, I think some clues for me were that um, I've very much dealt with them and have always had really fantastic feedback about their experience with me which I've you know very very valuable um, and then also just the, the clinical wins that that come from those sessions and being able to really see my clients thrive and not, sorry, this is totally self-promotion and maybe against our regulations. I don't know, but um, I won't give you specific, <laughs> specific things, um, but it's just been so lovely to see that. And then hearing maybe of other clinicians experience with working with that caseload and, and maybe, like struggling a little bit more or not not seeing those outcomes so I think um I think neurodiversity affirming practice hasn't been something that I've had to specifically learn it's very much come naturally um and I think um <laughs> this is a this is a journey that I'm going on at the moment Holly so I I'm certainly not diagnosed myself, but I've certainly recognized all of traits within myself. And maybe 2024 is the year for me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, certainly I've realized over the years that I am incredibly um, sensory sensitive and um, have made a zillion accommodations for my life in that regard. Um and have I, you know, used those terms that I'm neurodivergent? No. Um, but now that I am servicing this caseload, I think um, it would be valuable to have that diagnosis because I think one of the biggest things that really helps that, that I suppose, that therapeutic connection is to have, um, you know, that shared lived experience and, and understanding that there's shared lived experience there. Um, and certainly I do that anyway. I'm like, oh, you know, when I'm feeling like that, this is what it's like for me and this is what I do. Um, there's a lot of, you know, that therapeutic sharing that happens with uh, the neuroaffirming neuro way, I think, personally. So, yeah, that's just, I guess, the backstory of that. Um, but there's a lot to be said about, you know, the neurodivergent affirming approach, which I totally can get into if you want me to. Yeah, no, I, look, I'd love to unpack it with you. I think it's like the, the way it sounds. I think there's a lot of therapists that have sort of had to make that really conscious shift over the last few years to change their therapy. I know I was one of them. I was, you know, I was very reward-based when I first started. It was very much behavior management when I first started. And again, our populations are different, but I had to make a very conscious shift to challenge my thought process and challenge why I was doing it. And I very much think I'm neuroaffirming in what I do now, but it's been a journey to get here. 
if there was potentially someone who was listening who who is sort of in that mindset still where they know they need to change but it's you know it's so tricky to change what we've known and change what we do and I, I love hearing that you know you've always had this approach and you've always had it sort of ingrained in sort of what you're doing but yeah what would you what sort of advice might you give to someone who's who's ready to make that shift but doesn't really know how yeah that's a fantastic question um and something I was reflecting on the other day actually because I'm like okay no I need to practically think about about how we get to this stage, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. especially if I'm, you know, eventually thinking of employing people and things like I want to make sure that they know that approach as well. So um, I think honestly, it's a first things first is understanding the neurodivergent experience um, because I think if we're looking at the neurodivergent experience from a neurotypical lens, um, it's very easy to I think misunderstand um some of the challenges and maybe some of the things we observe as OTs because like we we learn those like observation skills right and um I think we learn to infer things you know like that like how we create a hypothesis and we test that hypothesis whatever um and I think that I think that neurotypical OTs often get get it wrong like get get those assumptions wrong unfortunately um for example um considering that our clients are lazy because they're not following the recommendations you know the very strict recommendations that we've put forth or um yeah yeah things like that and and I think um also not 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 thinking that they they have that underlying knowledge of how to do the task and so always just reverting to education but actually education is not always the thing it's actually just being able to to adapt what they know of the task to suit their needs so yeah I think as a place to start I would say um like hop on TikTok hop on social media and follow some people that um who are neurodivergent and and try and understand their experience and really understand it like not just um seeing the symptoms and and you know knowing it from what we may have learned from uni which I would you know, argue is quite minimal but anyway um and I think from from there if you can understand that then you can start to um see see things from a different point of view um and then when you're starting to see those things you can actually pick apart that um s- some of the practices that you're doing um just are not helpful and they're actually quite they can actually be quite detrimental to people really. Um, so, and, you know, use that, use those task analysis skills on yourself and those reflection skills that we, we know and do so well. Um, and, and, but also go read about it, like go, go educate yourself. Right. Um, there's so much out there these days. And, um, and I certainly do a lot of that myself, yeah. especially for the specific strategies. Like I'm always hoping to fill my toolkit with, with more, um, because everyone's different. And that's the thing about this space is everyone is just so different and you can't just create one visual schedule. And for that to be helpful for everyone, that is absolutely not the way, you know? Absolutely. And I think the thing I love that you said there was, you know, listen and learn to neurodivergent voices. And I think, you know, I remember the first time I read an article that was sort of challenging my sort of sort of thought process and I shut it down completely. I was like, oh, that's just one person's experience. Everything else I'm doing is fine. Like, but then, you know, it became more prevalent and it became louder and and there was more voices coming out. And, you know, if anyone is, you know, feeling 
disheartened by, you know, potentially of, of being doing, you know, non-neuroaffirming practice and, and no one ever intentionally sets out to cause damage and no one ever intentionally wants to, you know, cause masking, all those things. But it is an uncomfortable situation to be in as a therapist and we have to hold space for that. And, you know, the journey is a long one and you just need to have really honest conversations with with yourself and, and those around you and just don't be afraid for it to feel uncomfortable that everything you're doing is changing. It's it's a new thing we're learning about, but you listening to neurodivergent voices is the absolute bare minimum, I think, at this day and age. I think if we're not doing that, we're doing harm. Like we need to be listening to voices. Yeah, that's so true. Holly, you're clearly such a therapist. I appreciate you at that point of view. (laughs) Incredible. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Winning. (laughs) No, I think think you're so right. And actually, so some of the things that I've found that really, uh, I think, shocks some of my clients is like when I say things like you know what I don't know what's Mm. gonna work for you and um or like you know what we have to try that and just like see you know that might not work um or um yeah just like being okay with like not knowing and like also like I'm constantly like that in my sessions I'm like I, I don't know like I don't know what's gonna work I don't know what your experience is like um but I we do deep dives that's what I call task analysis deep dives um and that is the most fun thing because a lot of times my clients then honestly come up with strategies themselves and I'm like yes that's what we want you know because people will follow their own you know their own ideas and, and strategies um so much better if I were to just lay it out for them so I think that's definitely a place to start I would say in your sessions if you're not sure don't don't come with presumptions just just ask questions and then see where that takes you Absolutely. And I think highlighting that there are so many options and we are going to do trial and error and this might not work. I think it gives hope to those that we are working with that we're not just going to pigeon and hold them into one strategy. And that's going to really give them the opportunity to share their true experience and not just feel like they're they're stuck into the one approach and the one strategy. And I think it's so important because there is so many accommodations we can make and there are so many recommendations and they will work differently for different children, different adults, different adolescents, whoever we're working with. It's the beauty of our job but it also is the overwhelming part of our job as well so it's all part of the fun isn't it (laughs) oh absolutely and I think um you can be so creative in this space which I absolutely love like it is the funnest thing (laughs) absolutely I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here I do Mm. apologize do you have any sort of recommendations for accounts that people might be able to follow or resources that are really beneficial and if you haven't got any off the top of your head that is okay we (laughs) might put together a little bit of a list if you've got any afterwards but yeah see what you've got (laughs) I may have to come back on that with you so something about my brain Holly is that (laughs) I am really 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 bad at uh, remembering names of things like I just like words do not stick in my brain um like I've got things that I can picture right now, but like that's not going to help us. <laughs> but certainly there's there's some fantastic resources and um, I'd say like channels to follow as well, like on social media once again. Um, but I would say also with that though, like always take, you know, take everything. I'm not going to say with a grain of salt, but like always, you know, analyze that someone's experience that you're listening to is isn't the full experience of the neurodivergent experience. 
everyone's got their own experience of it. So like, as you're looking at those things, be like, okay, cool. That's their experience. That's fantastic. Maybe I can take that little bit of advice and apply it to someone. Um, but it's not going to be the full picture. And, and I think that's where we are as therapists is we need to uncover the full picture. And I think that's, you know, a fantastic um, spot that we're in to be able to do that for, for our clients. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, I couldn't answer that question. I, I'll come back to you. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. If there's any, any sort of uh, really good ones that you think, let me know and I'll, I'll add them to the post when we, when we post the page, but no stress at all. Run me through though, because I've got a page that everyone should follow and it's your TikTok page. So that is a very, very big uh, recommendation that I think everyone should go and check out. Run me through. How did you start a TikTok? Where, where did that desire come from? Is it a creative outlet? Like what's what's your goal over on the TikTok? Oh my gosh, Holly. Um, wow. Okay. So, so many thoughts. I definitely started it as a creative outlet. Um, I think one of the things that I've found really challenging over the last couple of years of being out of uni is like I said before, just like really finding, finding myself and my creativity because like just, you know, just being so bent out from work all the time. Um, and just not feeling like I had the space for it. And also I think I'm in that just stage of my life and career where I'm like, I need, well, sorry, I've always been very results driven. I can't do something without it being a result um, at the end. And I'm, I need it to be productive for me in some way, whether it be financially or whether it be for my career or, or just something that aligns with my current goals. Um, so I actually, to be fair, started TikTok as like a, like a, a lifestyle, you know, content type type girly um <laughs> did not go you know well for me for any particular you know reasons um I it was taking up a lot of my time very much enjoyed doing that sort of stuff but um I was like yeah it's not gonna nothing's gonna come up this um so I I stopped that and then um honestly Holly for the last couple of years I've been looking at different um different side hustles different businesses definitely on that vein of things because um I think there have been moments certainly within my career so far, especially before I realized um, my passion area was neurodivergence and that I could actually choose to focus on that if I wanted to. You know, there was that barrier for so long that I was like, oh, no, I have to do home odds, you know, (laughs) Um, until you sort of flip that script on yourself and you're like, oh, wait, no, that doesn't need to happen. That's fine. Um, So anyway, I was looking looking for an out, uh, not going to lie. And um, tried a bunch of things, and I came back to TikTok. And actually, it was one of one of my clients. Once again, I I do so much because of my clients or my students. It's amazing. I love it. Um, <laughs> they had said that they found their support coordinator um, through TikTok, and I was like, oh my god, amazing! Let me look that up. And I did, and I was like, oh, this is so informative. It's so. It, she was also yeah neuroaffirming. Um, and I'm like, this is so powerful. This is amazing. And then I think just because of my own, <laughs> just just myself, I was getting a lot of like that neurodivergent content in my feed, which I love and has been so incredible for my own learning about myself, but also for my clients. Um, and the other thing I noticed about all of that though was there was like very minimal OT representation within that. And I, and I still don't think people understand the OT role in the adult space, especially. And to be fair, 
I do think that NDIS has had a huge, like, huge impact to that, you know, almost creating our role in that space. Um, But also, like, the whole, you know, neurodivergent coach thing has been a thing that's happened with this whole neurodiversity-affirming movement. And certainly there's a place for that, and I think that can be really helpful for some people. But I would also argue that, like, OTs make fantastic coaches in that space and perhaps our role is a little bit more broad and we know how to assess for sensory processing and we know how to assess for executive functioning and all of those extra things. Um, So I was like, you know what, like, I need to share my knowledge about this. Like, this is crazy to me. Um, and so I did. And it just, yeah, it kind of started from there. I got featured in a news article within a couple what? of weeks. Like, it was weird. It was wild. So good. <laughs> yeah. And what's the sort of process between, like, making a video? I know you answer a lot of questions that come through, which I think is really great because you're really sharing lived experience and it's people's real questions. But as far as like coming up with content, like does that come easily to you or do you just do it when you've got the energy? Like how does that feel? Yeah, I um, I'm still creating my process, I would say. Um, but my process so far has been to um, sit down and and just like think about the topics that I want to talk about and that like I'm a bit of a talker sorry Holly you may have already noticed and (laughs) that's why we're doing a podcast (laughs) (laughs) and um and just like ad-libbing basically so once I think of the topic I want to talk about I just ad-lib and then I'll edit out all of the waffle which I do a lot of (laughs) not going to lie um and look I've tried scripting I've tried all of these other things but for my brain I really struggle pre-planning uh hence why I think I might have ADHD but that's fine um and so for me I I very much think in the moment and as I'm talking so it's either I talk a lot and then I create a script and then I do it again or I just do it and so that's what I do I do it (laughs) um yeah but I am wanting to create more diverse content I would say especially now that I have my own clinic space which I'm so excited about um so you know doing like the day in the life or like sharing resources and all that stuff but it just takes I think a little bit more like planning for me and that's something that can be quite draining if I do too much of so yeah yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a side, like I know similarly with, with the podcast, like if I am planning a podcast, if I have dot points, if I know what I'm talking about, it's terrible. It's It just <laughs> doesn't follow the same flow. It doesn't, I don't make sense. I'm too worried about following what I've got on my paper. If I just press record and just start talking, it's incredible what I can yeah. come out with. And sometimes I'm like, oh, did I say that? That's really cool. So I'm, I very much agree with what you're saying there. Like the ad lib stuff is the way to go. But also with the content creation side of things, like it can be exhausting. It can be like you can get a bit of that creative block and it's like, all right, I've got these followers that I need to engage with, but I don't have anything right now. And I find when you force it and you're not feeling it, that's when it's not natural and you start shifting into this space that you don't really want to go in because you're trying to force something. So uh, yeah, I'm very much like I'll do it when I've got the energy and I'll do it when I, I, I feel like it's coming naturally to me, but there's no pressure otherwise to sort of make content just for the sake of making content. But everything you post is incredible. And if you, you guys don't have TikTok, download it and and start following. But I do believe <laughs> I saw you made an Instagram account the other day. So I rage. She's crossing over. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's time. Instagram, let's go. <laughs> Get on the reels. It's, you know, it's just oh. one more thing to post on, but it'll be good that people can reach you on a variety of platforms. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, I 
I think so. That's something I was getting uh, feedback about um, or, or just even talking to, actually, yeah, talking to my friends about it. I'm like, yeah, I started this TikTok and they're like, and some of them just still six months on have not seen anything that I've done and purely because yeah. it's on TikTok. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> fine. Time to time to. She's coming to over. She's making the bridge. <laughs> I am. Incredible. Now I wanted to ask you really quickly about your research article and what that process was like. Research is in all honesty, not an area that I ever enjoyed personally for my own learning style, but I always find it really fascinating when other people sort of go into that area. So how did you get from, you know, doing a few research uh, extra things at uni to having an article published? Yes. um, Fantastic question. Now I should also clarify, it's being published in the next issue. I don't know when that's coming out, but it's definitely been accepted. I just, you know, I'm in this limbo stage where it's actually not technically being published. But it's coming. It's coming. Good disclaimer, but claim it. Claim it. It has been accepted. (laughs) Yeah. Just so I'm not like gaslighting anyone over here. Um, Doing the research projects at uni were fantastic. One of them was literally just like, um, what's that word? Transcribing like qualitative data and, you know, super easy Mm -hmm. stuff, brain dead, but um, definitely very interesting to see, I guess, that that process starting. And then I was involved in some of the discussions with some of my lecturers after the fact of trying to like analyze it and stuff. So it gave me really great insight about that process. Um, The next one was a literature review and um, such a fun topic. It was about how playing a musical instrument can help um, like rehabilitate someone with like with who has experienced a stroke. Um, And that was, yeah, obviously a passion area of mine. And I honestly, wanted to keep going with that research but it wasn't offered the following year so whatever it's fine um and then we we had like a range of topics that we could choose from like different different lists um of different projects I admittedly did not get my first preference I didn't even get my seventh preference I think I got my eighth preference (laughs) um and I and once again though this was back when I was still thinking hospital was the right journey for me like just in a very different headspace um and I managed to get a research project that was um about a family focused intervention for isn't yeah like autistic children um but it was very it's very like parent focused in in its approach so the therapist works with the parent and then the parent's the one that's implementing things and um if you're a pediatric OT, I highly recommend starting to think in that space because I can definitely see how um, how beneficial it is to really involve the whole family in that process. But anyway, I started working on that project. Um, it was qualitative um, research. So I interviewed, you know, the parents about their experience. And I think, yeah, through that, it, yeah, amazing, amazing insight, I think, about um I think about how they viewed therapy as well um, and how they viewed their children. And one of the cool things that I got from it was that they, um, the turning point for them was that when they realized that therapy wasn't, wasn't meant to um to make their children neurotypical it was actually um yeah they they had to really change Mm. their their view of their child and to be accepting of how their child was and anyway that's just a side note I felt that was incredible and I think probably the starting point for me thinking in that space as well to be to be quite honest um so yeah I did that research project um definitely had its challenges I would say I 
love writing, but I also find writing a very difficult thing for me. And I think it's because once again, I can't, I can't pre-sync of things I have to start doing, but then in doing, I get overwhelmed and then I have to go back to the beginning. And then it's just this whole like process over and over again. Um, but I managed to do really well. I had some fantastic feedback from my supervisors about my like analysis section. And I think once again, I think I can think quite deeply about things when I, when I do. So, um, yeah, it was a really, really cool experience, wrote it up. Um, and then yeah, finished uni, did well in that. And it's really been just like that waiting game since then, you know, you have to edit it submit it to a publisher do the whole thing again um yeah so there you go there's my there's my research experience once it's published published in inverted commas because we know it's publishing but once once it can be read please send it through and I'll make sure that everyone that is listening to this episode has access to where it is because I think it sounds very informative particularly for that pediatric space and yeah leaning into that sort of parental approach more I think it was going to be yeah I'm excited to read it I can't wait to see what you you put in there incredible yeah also no excited to excited to send it to you I'm also excited to read it again myself to be honest it's been two years Like, I forgot what I wrote about. <laughs> Sila, tell me, what's the next five years look like for you? You've obviously just started your own practice. You managed, You mentioned that you've opened a clinic space or you're about to open a clinic space. You're delving into the social media game. Where do you see yourself in the next five years with all of that? I am still certainly in the dreaming stage and I know probably from your own experience like you like there's just so many different options and different 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 choices to make and um and uh, I love the freedom and flexibility that I've put my self into the situation um but also it's like a little bit daunting so essentially what I what I see happening is um certainly continuing with um my solo practice but then um I'm honestly quite overwhelmed with the amount of people that have reached out wanting therapy and I'm I'm already like I need to set up a waiting list at the moment because I'm like yeah we're at that stage um and I, so I definitely think there's a need, whether I'm the person to create the business to have heaps of therapists in this space and working, you know, in this, I'm not sure. Um, I think for me, I would love to really develop, develop my own, I guess, um, leadership skills first, I'd say, um, and, and my own, you know, clinical experience a little bit more, because I think, if I were to bring on employees, I'd I'd really need a really great training program because I don't think sometimes it's not enough just to have supervision. Like you really have to uh, frame how you think about it and then you can have supervision Absolutely. to like back that up if that makes sense. Um, so that's, that's the space I'm thinking of. So at the moment, maybe just me doing it I am thinking of hiring someone to write my reports so low-key because I hate that side of NDIS so we'll, we'll see if that happens if anyone's interested reach out to me <laughs> we've got a job ad this is the job ad <laughs> I'll put your contact details in I just think it sounds like it's a very exciting like unknown phase for you or that could go so many different ways and that is the beauty of questions like this is you know some people have very set where they're going to be and some people are just happy to sort of go with it and I love that for you. Yeah, yeah. And I think we can both also um, understand the whole social media space. Like there are so many opportunities within that that may come, may not come. Um, I think, And I think you sort of have to think about what the need is as well. So for me, I know that my clients are like, 
where are the people that I want to connect with? Like, how do I find friends? Like there's such a great online space, but where, where are the people physically? Um, So I think I would love to create some type of a group where people can come in and meet other neurodivergent people. But um, yeah, just in the thinking stages. Um, And then also maybe some, some learning content uh, online, because I think, especially in my role, there, there is a lot of, edu- there's, there's a huge education component to what I do. Um, and sometimes I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, even though I then adapt it depending on what the person, you know, how the person presents. But um, some of it is just, you know, um, general education information. And I think if that can be accessed a little bit more easily, then that's, that's a great starting point for people, especially who don't have India plans you know like it's quite inaccessible to have an OT so I think that might be a space that I might delve into but yeah dreaming dreaming stage right now I love it I'm so excited to see what comes next for you and where you take your TikTok and where you take your business it's a very exciting time and I think you've got Mm -hmm. great ideas and the great uh brain and, and experience behind it to sort of bring them to life which is really really exciting and obviously you're seeing all this success you're seeing all these you know great things happening you know based off your career if you could go back in time and tell that that shy uni student sealer one thing what what bit of advice would you give yourself <laughs> um honestly like stick it out and I'm yeah. so glad that I followed that advice even though I didn't know it at the time but there were so many times Holly that I was like oh, that's it that's it I need to quit I need to do something different that's not working for me um but no stick it out I think if if you're 50 percent there or um, yeah maybe 60 percent let's go a little bit more than 50 if you're 60 60% there, then I think accommodations can make up for the rest of the 40% or maybe it's knowledge or it's support or it's something else. Um, but yeah, I think just sticking it out, like you'll, you'll find, you'll find your groove one day. Yeah. Amazing. I think that's very good advice. And I think there's lots of people listening that will be able to put that advice into practice now. Sila, I've got a new way I'm wrapping up my podcast episodes. You are the first person I'm trying it with. So I hope it goes well. If it doesn't, we won't do it again. (laughs) But I'm introducing my rapid fire questions to wrap it up. We've got some OT, some non-OT things. I'm going to fire them at you and you're going to give me your rapid answers. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's do it. Sila, tomato sauce in the fridge or in the cupboard? Oh, fridge for sure. Who fridge. likes lukewarm oh. cupboard? <laughs> what? what are you talking about? You're wrong. I'm no, a I'm cupboard girl. I'm a cupboard girl. <laughs> uh, what is your all-time favorite OT resource? Look, I have so many, uh, but okay, okay, uh, real quick. Um, I, I think the sensory assessment is really good, like sensory profile adult, you know, that sort of thing. Great starting point. I also would say the consumerfinance.gov, my uh, ex-workwife, uh, Suman, shout out, she showed that to me and um, fantastic for like money management, budgeting skills, teenagers, you know, that that sort of Incredible. thing. Fantastic. Go, go check it out. Yeah, cool. I might link it in the show notes. Uh, yeah. Summer or winter or spring or autumn? Um, I would say winter. Yeah, growing winter. up in France, miss my snow for sure. Uh, favorite and least favorite unit at uni? I'd say favorite, um, and this is weird probably, but um, honestly, those first couple of subjects where we where we learn about OT theory, that was like life changing for me because I started thinking about the world in a different way. So yeah, I actually liked the OT theory side of things. And so, least favorite anatomy. Oh my gosh, that was a killer for sure. You're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> and last rapid fire question: favorite super duper flavor. 
Okay, now you did send me these questions beforehand, Holly, and I'm so sorry. I actually had to Google Zupa <gasps> Dupa flavors. <No! laughs> and I've picked out orange because I think that would be something I liked, but I'm so sorry. I have not tried them. <laughs> that is fine. I think, can I give you some homework and go and yeah. buy a pack of Zupa Dupas? Because they are life-changing. I reckon I pump five Zupa Dupas a day. Oh, they're so great. And I can tell you, orange is the last one left in the packet. <laughs> Okay, good to know. Personal preference though, personal preference. But look, I think rapid questions went well. I think we'll keep it around. You've done very well. Celia, if anyone is listening to this and they want to get in contact with you, they want to see what you're doing over on TikTok, they want to just learn a little bit more about about you and what you're doing, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, so um, my handle is just my name, Celia Dimmick, which I can appreciate. You probably don't know how to spell, but go read read my name in the Spotify um, thing. I'm sure you'll have that up. Um, But yeah, so TikTok is probably the best way. And then I've got my email address as well in my bio and a few other things. I'm website to come. So that's, you know, watch the space area. But yeah, feel free to reach out if you need to. Incredible. I will pop the link to your TikTok in the show notes. People can head straight over there. I think people will probably be listening to this midway through and probably doing a search up of your name beforehand because you're sharing some wonderful, wonderful things. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. We made it with our adaptability and our our accommodations we've made. And I'm just so appreciative. I've learned so much and I hope that everyone listening does too. But thank you so very much for coming on the pod. Thanks for having me, Holly. It's been a pleasure. Like I said at the start of that ep, Sila is an absolute legend. If you are not following her on TikTok, please go and follow her on TikTok. And as I also said in the ep- in the interview, if you don't have TikTok, it's worth downloading it just for Sila. Uh, but thank you again so much, Sila, for coming on the app. I've got so many great episodes coming. I'm recording another four interviews this coming Friday. There's just some great guests that have reached out and are wanting to come and share their story on the pod and some others that I've headhunted down to get some good content for you guys. So I hope you enjoy. But before we wrap it up, stupid fun fact with no relevance to OT is on its way in three, two, one. Did you know that huntsman spiders can hold their breath? I do not know how long for. I do not know why they hold their breath. All I know is that they can hold their breath. So take that to your next dinner party and take this podcast recommendation to your next dinner party too. Share it around with all your OT friends or your other allied health friends, whoever wants to listen. I think there's value for all for an episode like this with Sila. Like I said, stay tuned. Some great episodes coming soon and some more exciting announcements. But I appreciate you. I can't even speak to wrap it up. I appreciate you guys so much. I just also hit 2,000 followers on Instagram and that makes me so happy. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for your support. Goodbye.